our passage today may be familiar to you. It's coming to us from the, um, the Gospel of um, Luke. It is part of kind of Jesus' words to his disciples. And they're challenging words, not simply to his disciples, but to us today as his modern disciples. They are words that I think should shape us, but sometimes in the shaping, we, we realize how hard it is for us to, to kind of follow. And yet Jesus tells us that his burden is light. And he tells us that because he is with us. Not to condemn us, but to encourage us, to lead us. So allow me to read these words to you that come to us from Luke chapter 6, verses 21 to 30. The words are going to be on the screen behind me and on the, up there, but if you want to follow along, um, maybe you have an app on your phone. Again, it's Luke 6, verses 21 to 30. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone, if it, someone slaps you on, your, on one cheek, Turn to the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Here ends the reading. Now, in a new year, we always feel this pressure there is this energy that comes at us, this expectation for change, for new things. And it's not just simply, hey, we're turning the calendar, but this idea of possibility. But it also feels like a burden, doesn't it? That we have to get everything right this year. We're going to fix everything that was wrong before and make it all better now. We give everything right now in this moment so much more importance that we will now get it all together. I will now adult the right way. At least that's what I tell myself. And I create these huge, perfect plans, and I come at it with kind of the black bag energy you have when you just want to take everything out of your house and start fresh. You want to just leave it all at the curb and say, you know what, it's just easier this way. You know, we're going to be more healthy. We're going to be more involved. 
We're going to start a new hobby. We're going to be more loving. We're going to be more faithful in our, in our practice of our religion. We're going to be more, whatever that is, whatever it is. And, and you may fill in the blank for yourself. You may already have that plan. You may have already gotten that gym membership. And you may be already executing that plan. And I want to encourage you in that. I'm not here to tear you down or say, oh, man, that's just dumb. No, I, I, I love the idea of us taking charge in our lives, of picking a direction and heading in that way, of charting a course where we want to go. I believe that's important, that not simply having the idea of what I want to be and then just kind of, ah, oh, it'll happen. Oh, probably not. You need to pick a direction, and you need to head in that direction, and often you need a plan for it to determine how you're going to get there. What road are you going to take? And our readings today, I think, challenge us to choose a direction. That's usually what these things are asking us to do, is to pick a direction and head there. In particular, this passage for us today asks us to choose a different path, to choose to be different people. This scripture even invites us, I think, to look in the mirror, to allow the scripture to be a mirror for us to look in, to take a look at ourselves. Who are we? Who have we become? Is this really who I want to be? And I hope your answer to that question is yes, and no, because there is always room for growth. That in our faith, it is not simply about this point of decision for Jesus. You know, we talk about getting saved, and people talk about their moments of salvation. They can pinpoint, you know, it happened this day at this time in this place. And then there are some of us who are like, it just has always been, and that's okay. But it's more than that. It's more than a moment. It's more than a singular decision. It's more about decisions over a lifetime that lead us into the idea of loving God and loving others with the greatest possible ability that we have with the help of the Holy Spirit. That we, at the end of our days, have the greatest love for God and neighbor that we have the capacity for. And that capacity is not dependent on us, but how God will move and work in us. That when we look in that mirror, as we hold up this value in Scripture, that we see Christ in us, as well as ourselves. That we see places where God has worked in us, through us, and in spite of us. That we also see places where maybe we need a little bit more Jesus. I was joking with a friend even before service about this is why I need Jesus. You know, kind of that negativity that we bring in or even some of our snarkiness at times and realizing, you know, that's not really the best person that I can be. That person who is becoming more and more like Jesus. And so I want us to think about those places where we can choose differently. To allow ourselves to be more like Jesus in those spaces that every day we have a chance to choose differently. And the different 
is to be different than what the world tells us to be. And I don't think that our scripture is very different than our, our modern day, where the scripture is asking us to choose differently, to love enemies as opposed to go after them or ignore them. That the scripture is asking us to do good to those who hate us, where the world tells us, no, hate them right back. Hater's going to hate, I'm going to hate them right back. I'm going to get mine back from them as well. No, what we are invited to as Christ followers is to choose a better way. Now, in our kind of our new year, new you plans, we are sometimes a little hyper-focused on ourselves, a little hyper-focused on just me. And there's a value in that. I can only control my choices for the most part. But the thing is, our choices live in community. My choices have an impact on others, whether I want to believe that or not. We live in community. We have neighbors. We have coworkers, as well as family and friends. And our decisions, how we live in this world, has an impact on them as much as ourselves. Because our actions and our words matter. And this passage reminds us of that. And see, in our uber-competitive world, we can read this passage and we hear blessings and woes, which usually isn't the most typical behavior unless you have that sign in your house, you know, bless this mess. But for most of us, we don't talk about blessings or woes. And when we hear that language, we sometimes go to, hmm, winners and losers, right? If you're blessed, you're a winner. If you have woes, you're a loser. Because we sometimes go, well, if bad things are happening to you, you must have done bad things, right? You must be a loser. You must be making poor choices to have this situation happen to you. But the funny thing is, while we turn that gaze onto others, we don't do it for ourselves, do we? When bad things happen to us, we ask, why? Why me? Because I think there's a sense in us that knows that blessings and woes isn't about winners and losers. It's sometimes just about life and what comes at us. But so often we take it as, you know, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't like my stuff, you must not like me. If you don't vote my way, you must be voting against me. If you don't like my opinions, you must hate me. But this is not Jesus' message here. This passage is about the kingdom of God, where it's not about winning or losing. And if we think of our faith as a war to be won, we see people as enemies or adversaries to be conquered. It's why I have a hard time when Christians talk about winning winning people for Jesus, which is really about counting heads as trophies, not valuing people as beloved creations. But, but when we think of faith as a world to be explored, 
known and enjoyed, we see people as neighbors to be loved. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind, that we don't think about blessings and woes as winning or losing, but we understand that we are blessed when we choose the kingdom of God. When we see ourselves, when we see ourselves as poor, hungry, crying, and hated, and we choose to participate in a different way, that we choose not to strike back, but to engage in making things better. When we let go of what is in order to make room for what can be. And I want you to understand that this is, this is important. That woes, woes aren't punishments. But recognizing that those who have chosen the kingdom of the world get theirs in this world. They reap a temporary reward that does not have eternal lasting power. And so that is the tragedy of it. That when we reap that temporary reward, that we are often embracing the world's safe way of living. Focus more on getting ours, getting mine, and saying, I'm good. I got mine. You take care of yours. I got my stuff. I'm going to take care of my stuff. You handle yours. that they are often chasing another way. A way that promises false security. Again, that temporary reward. That false security, but never true contentment. True contentment that lasts, that grounds us, that secures us in a way that is eternal. I was having an interesting conversation this week with my dad, who is a, a bus driver for a very wealthy school district. And I'm not going to name names, but he had some training the other day with the police, actually. And they were talking about the challenges in that area. And one in, one in particular they talked about was, was illegal drugs. And so often we think of, you know, kind of access to drugs is, is in less wealthy areas, in poorer areas. We look at that as crime that only lives in certain places, not in very privileged and wealthy places, when in fact they're more likely to exist in places of wealth because of the access to it. And the police were talking about the access that the children in that community have because the wealth that their parents have created and that in trying to maintain that wealth, the parents are often busy working. They're trying to maintain that level of lifestyle to which they all have become accustomed. And that as their children get older, they are often alone. And kind of thinking about those circumstances, I'm rather heartbroken for these families because the parents have mistaken the fulfillment of their personal needs and satisfaction for the kingdom. They see themselves as winning at the game of life with nice homes, fancy cars, all the technology. 
endless opportunities for their children. and yet devoid of connection and relationship. That in seeking to provide what they think are their children's needs, they have neglected what truly is of value. And it's not to pick on only that community, because we can end up in those circumstances no matter what. But it's easier to go there, I think, sometimes, because it looks good. It feels like blessings, when in fact, there's sometimes woes. See, when we see the world as winners and there are losers, that we can tell who are winners by the cars that they drive, the jobs that they have, the lifestyle that they can afford, that we really aren't starting to value people as people. We value them by what they have. We look at their appearance. We look at the outward things, the things that they have, and we say, oh, you, you must be worth something because of what you have, when in fact we are worth something because of what God has said about us. And I think we all do this. We all draw conclusions based on appearances. And why we do this is sometimes that that's what people show us. They don't really show us who they really are. They show us what they have because that's way easier. That's less vulnerable. You know, we kind of look at what they show us and we think, what a nice family. What a nice family. And then when things go wrong, we start to wonder, oh, what's their dirty laundry? See how quickly it twists, not for empathy, but who's the winner, who's the loser? Because if there's a winner, that means there has to be a loser. And if there's a loser, someone's got to be the winner, and I want to be the winner. We can't all be winners, right? You know, we all love to snark about participation awards. Well, those are just stupid. Yeah, I agree. In a sporting event, yeah, there's probably a winner and a loser, but that's not the way life should be lived. See, what we do shouldn't define us. But when we do that, we allow the world to define us rather than God. Jesus says differently than what the world does. He says the kingdom isn't about winners and losers. The kingdom is for everyone. There are no winners or losers. There are just simply citizens in my kingdom. And I'm the gatekeeper who has thrown the gates wide open. But so often, we live the other way. We live like there is a game of winners and losers. And we tell God he is wrong when we live this way. We tell God, you're wrong. There isn't enough for everyone. Someone has to lose, and I'm not going to be the loser. I'm going to take care of mine, and I'll be okay, and I'll be a winner. Someone else can lose. Someone else can go without. And often we just simply shrug our shoulders and act like, well, we really have no choice in the matter anyway. Like, I'm living my life, they're living theirs. That's just what happens. And I think when we shrug our shoulders, we're trying to lift the burden of community off ourselves. We're trying to say it doesn't matter. 
when in fact I think we're shrugging because the weight is so much for us that we know it's not just about ourselves. That we know that we can choose differently and we should. I found this fascinating this week. Um, One, because I paid attention to it. And two, because of the event itself. Most of you know I'm, I'm not a sports person. I love that some of you are. I do not pay attention to any of the sports balls. I don't even like to watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. It's just not my thing. But I know that some of you love it, and I love that you bring excitement and energy to it, and I love to listen to what you guys enjoy, but it's not my thing. But I did pay attention this week to an event that happened. I think many of you are aware because it's been out there everywhere, even for those of us who are not sports people, that during a Bills and Bengals game, a man, Damar Hamlin, had a severe cardiac arrest. And there's a tragedy in that singular event itself, but the response to it is what captured my imagination, which made me stop and go, whoa, this is different. Not only did it stop the game, it ended the game. And that is shocking for the NFL when every minute is money. We know that sports are big business across the board. But it was fascinating to me to watch as the world stopped for this man. You see, We engage ourselves in a game. We find enjoyment in it and watching it, sometimes playing it, sometimes following it, where these players bet their physical prowess for so many years, gambling it in order to reap a reward. And it's big business not only for the players but for the owners. You know, they're banking, literally, on these men selling their bodies and skills to entertain us for a few years. So to end the game, I don't know that they recognized it at this time, but they were actually doing something very shocking. They were making a very radical statement. They chose to stop out of respect for not only the life of Damar, But they also recognized that in witnessing that event, which was traumatic, was traumatic for everyone else, and that it mattered. Meaning that we experience trauma even when we don't go through it primarily ourselves. Maybe we may not have encountered the injury but we have experienced the trauma of it. Recognizing we exist in community, recognizing our choices have an impact on others, recognizing that others' lives have the impact on us, that we are affected by one another, and that when one of us suffers, we all do, whether we allow ourselves to feel that or not. doctor said that after Damar woke up 
he asked in writing, because he had a tube, who won the game? And I love the medical team's response. You won. You won the game of life. I have a problem with the phrase game of life, but I think there is an important distinction. You are worth more than what you can do. You are worth more than your earnings and your abilities and your skills. You are worth more. You've won because your eyes are open now. This has captured our attention, or at least mine, because this man matters. And that this event was rather radical for this organization. To stop a game and pay attention to who matters. To not view opponents, but neighbors in need of care. Which is why I love this passage as a mirror for us to look into and ask, do we want to live this way with winners and losers like a game or do we want more? Do we want different? We are called to be different in this world, to change, to grow in love for God and others. That is the goal of our faith. love doesn't see winners or losers. Love does demand choice, choosing to love God, choosing to love others, sometimes even choosing others over ourselves to live sacrificially, choosing to love, serve, and care for all people. looking to the concerns of Christ first before our own. And the question sometimes comes to us, well, what it is to love? How do we love? Okay, my, my task, so to speak, is to love God and love others. Well, how do I do that? Well, in the 18th century, John Wesley, who was a very faithful man, almost a little too introspective at times about his own faith, wrestled with this question as well. And he started to come up with three rules to guide how we should live our faith. Like he looked at the idea of what it is to love God and love others. Well, how do we do that? And so he came up with three very simple rules. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God. Yes, that's what we're doing in this series, is to kind of explore that. But I want us to dig into what it is to do no harm. Because I believe all three of these rules can have a radical impact on our everyday faith. Because it's those everyday decisions that make the sum of our faith over a lifetime, not simply a singular decision. See, I believe that we don't wake up wanting to harm people. You may feel that a little bit later when you're in the car driving to work. But I don't believe that any of you in this room or online with us wake up wanting to harm people. But we do. We do end up harming people with our actions. 
especially when we are not paying attention to how they have an impact. See, we need to recognize first and foremost that our actions are a matter and our words matter deeply. Sometimes it means kind of stopping and going back even to undo some harm that we have done. Asking ourselves, how do we not add to the world's pain? How do we not add to the world's pain? How do we not step on toes? Because even if we didn't mean to, it still needs an apology. It still needs some reconciliation, some, some fixing. And when we look at this passage in particular and how it commands us towards the end to love our enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse us, Pray for those who mistreat us. Turn the other cheek, not to walk away, but to say, take a hit at the other one now. You want to hit me so badly? Here's the other one. Give to everyone. Do not demand back what is stolen. Do not seek revenge, retribution. The thing about each of these circumstances is that there is already pain in them. These circumstances are already about pain. And so even if we cannot fix the problem, the situation, the relationship, we can choose not to add to it. I talk a lot about my struggle with infertility because I believe it is a topic that we don't talk about enough that we just kind of assume is not as prevalent as we think. And I want to draw your attention to it because in a lot of those circumstances where we think we're having perfectly normal conversations with people, we are layering in some hurt. We are adding harm. We are adding pain without even meaning it. I've had enough of those situations when I was sitting with people and having conversations and someone saying, don't you want children? a really crappy question to ask somebody who has just suffered, suffered a miscarriage and who may have not shared that with you, but you've just put your hand in that wound. And the thing is, I did that last week with a friend. I didn't ask that question. I'd had breakfast with her and I was packing up my kids because my story has turned out differently than what I expected. You see, my story of, oh my gosh, I couldn't get pregnant, and I went down the path of adoption, and then suddenly I became pregnant, and now I have three kids. It's the story we tell. Nobody talks about adopting and saying, yeah, we adopted, and then we never got pregnant. Nobody tells that side of it, because it's obvious. But as I was packing up my kids and, and saying my goodbyes to this friend, and I was joking, I said, oh, don't you want a whole pastel yourself? And then she confided that she had been trying all this last year. That she and her husband were kind of at that final, they were waiting for those last few months for their doctor to finally say, yeah, we'll start to investigate what's going on. I felt pretty low in that moment because I realized I had done harm 
without even meaning to. And I realized I had an opportunity to also show how sorry I was. And to look her in the eye and say, it's not okay. I'm sorry you're going through this. To try and lessen the pain. So how can we choose to not do harm? How can we choose in our everyday actions to not add to the pain of this world? And I think most importantly, it comes down to paying attention. Paying attention to being aware of the people around us and not seeing them as opponents or adversaries, but seeing this world as a place to explore, to see neighbors as beloved creations, always. We have a chance every day, multiple times a day, to choose differently. How will we choose to do different, to choose to do no harm? My prayer for all of us is that in the new year that we will seek to bear witness to the love of God in all that we do. That is what it is that we do, that we bear witness to the love that we have received every day. My prayer is that we will do that. Amen.